Ahoy, and welcome to the Wizards of Rivel podcast. Uh, today, I am very, very lucky to be joined by somebody who honestly needs no introduction, but I've just written one, so you'll be getting it anyway. Um, you might remember him from such television programs as the Mary Whitehouse Experience, Mr. Bean, the original TV series, Me, You and Him with Punt and Dennis, Holding the Baby, Room 101 on TV and radio, of course, uh, my personal favourite presenter of BBC Radio 5 Fighting Talk, uh, 16 years presenting, they think it's all over. You made Gary Lineker famous, that's right, isn't it? Um, <laughs> more recently, Midsummer Murders, um, the famous Sloping Pitch podcast. Uh, Nick Hancock is here. Thank you so much for being here. Was that okay? Have I missed anything? No, you've said far more than I remember. So there you go. <laughs> Bless you. I think actually to add a little bit of context, a good percentage of our listeners are what I would call quite young. Um, certainly some of the presenters are in a bit of a hinterland age-wise where they wouldn't understand this without a bit of explanation probably. But for me, I grew up in that pre-internet age and also critically not in Stoke. So for me, keeping track of what was going on with Stoke City Football Club was taxing at best and often just impossible. Like there were no highlights other than local teams outside of Premier League. I actually got that Mike Lowe in soccer skills video that Christmas just so I could see the Stoke ground. Um, <laughs> you might occasionally get a mention of Stoke in football magazines, but mostly it was teletext, um, which meant for me, you'd only find out the names of the players if they got if they scored or got sent off mostly. Pa- so uh, page was- 302. Three one two was the, uh, the the short news, if I remember right. Absolutely. That's, no, you're absolutely correct, because 300 was sport. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, there, was a, there was a short period of time as a teenage Stoke fan in Hertfordshire where my main footballing heroes were actually Dominic Diamond off Games Master, who did a column in 90 Minutes magazine. And you, because you would willingly go on national television wearing a Stoke shirt and sometimes talk about Stoke when the opportunity to crop up. Through gritted teeth, admittedly, because we were shit then as well as we are now. I was going to say, and I also had a, a column in 90 Minutes magazine as well. Oh, so God, there you go. for me. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that, you obviously... You're, you must have got it every other week because Dominic did it one week and I would do it the week after. And then, oh, you know, that went on like that. That makes sense. That's why yeah. I connect the two things in my head and I haven't remembered properly that that was the case. How embarrassing. Did, did, you, ha- did you have a brother and did you only get uh, every other week for you and the every other week for him? I didn't, no. Um, no, I, I was an only child. I still am an only child, but that would have worked. That would have made sense. Maybe I did only get it every other week. Just Maybe I was just neglected as a child and I didn't realise that my parents were being very mean. Yeah, and I don't. I don't want to speculate, but possibly your father had another parallel family, and maybe you have got a brother, and he was getting a ninety minutes, you know, every fortnight, and you just didn't know about that. I'm, I don't want to start causing trouble in your family at this point. It's a no. guess. That's all. I, I, I will put that to him by the medium yeah. of sending him a link to this when we're done and, <laughs> and, and let him respond because, I, I mean, I can't speak for him. I don't think that's for, I'm fairly sure that's not the case, but who could say? Um, but well, I mean, you know, and all those... All those people whose fathers did have parallel families, they would all have said the same thing. I don't want to, at least it's not just before Christmas, but maybe maybe just, you know, introduce <laughs> it into the next conversation you have with him. I, I will do. I'll, I'll I'll make sure I speak to him soon. Um, mm. But what I'm what I'm trying to get at is for for a a period in the nineties in my life certainly you were the face of Stoke City more than the players were. 
And that's a thing that wouldn't make sense, I think, to people who live now with the internet and everything, because I didn't know most of the players, because all I could get was a little text lines. I didn't know most of the first names. I'd get an initial, because not living in the area, we didn't have the local news. So it was just, you were Stoke fandom to me. So that's... I guess thank you. I'm I, like, <laughs> as, as I say it, I realise it, it sounds a bit weird, but thank you for that. I, I'll try and turn it into a question and say, why are you a Stoke fan? Well, I'm, I'm just I'm from Stoke on Trent, you know, and uh, I used to go with my granddad and stand in the sit in the Butler Street, uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was inevitable. I don't I don't remember really um, ha- having a choice. I mean, it, it wasn't. Uh, it, it wasn't an obsessive family thing, but my grandfather was a season ticket holder. My dad was not not that bothered, and uh, you know I, it was a good time for me to be introduced to football because I suppose 1970-71 was my first season. Um, it Stoke FA Cup semi-finals. The next year, won the League Cup, so it was mm. it was a good time for me. I would have been nine, eight, nine. Uh, similarly, my son was I think eight when we got promoted to the premiership and you know when, when you have that first flush of success almost straight away it's um it, it, it you know you're it, it, it's into you and, and and there's no way out and and thank goodness for that mm. yeah my son is a bit younger but his his first games were all the first few seasons of the Premier League I think his, yeah. his first game was pre-season when we just signed Dave Kitson um oh, right so yeah that that that, that pinnacle um, yeah, if if you could go back in time, would you change it and support somebody else? Oh, you see, you were forced into it. That's surely not a real question. <laughs> no, I, no, I wasn't forced into it at all. I, I, uh, uh, it was an option that was given to me, and and I, I just loved it so much straight away. You know, all all of the all of the cliches of of, of sort of sitting there open mouthed and 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 hearing grown ups swear and and and, and smell <laughs> yeah. of, cig- of, of a pipe smoke and and you know and and, and a, a, a sparkling team with you know Terry Conroy and Jimmy Greenoff and and then subsequently Alan Hudson and uh, just Dennis Smith Mike Pedrick you know John Marsh all of them it just mm. um, just great great days and my memory as a child and I, this is probably true of a lot of children was that we always won at home you know it was always <laughs> yeah, and, and and the away games didn't really matter. I mean, a little bit like you living in in, in Hertfordshire. You know, the away games were were purely word of mouth, and so therefore you could decide to believe in them or not. Uh, as a child, <laughs> yeah. they were kind of irrelevant. Uh, they happened in places like London and Ipswich, and so yeah. therefore didn't really uh, impinge on my life at all. Awesome. Do you get people trying to test your Stoke credentials? Yeah, I, I I have had that before, and uh, you know it's uh, it is tiresome because one I am desperate to get those questions right, but <laughs> two you're kind of on a on a hiding to nothing. Um, I remember I did um, I did Celebrity Mastermind, and everybody thought I'd do Stoke, and I said, "There's no way I would st- do Stoke. It would just be just too 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 embarrassing." I was on with. Uh, Austin Healy, the, the the rugby player yeah. who chose Everton uh, between 1984 and 1987, and and I just said to him before, I said, you know, that's that's a poor decision, and uh, and and also <laughs> shamed him by getting more of his questions right than he did. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, I think you know. You, uh, it, it isn't the knowledge of facts that defi- defines you know how good a supporter you are, although. 
you know, I, I, yeah, I am quite anal about all of that stuff. Um, I know an awful lot more from when I was younger, but that's, I think, because, you know, you have a lot of time on your hands and those things mm. are important. And I wonder sometimes, actually, when you talk about that different age, you know, when, 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 when every game wasn't televised, when every game wasn't, wasn't picked over, uh, whether owning those facts was more important because it was your only way of touching, touching the games really yeah. um, was, was to, 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 to have the, the results written down and codified in your head, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Like just like having a record of things, it, it makes it yours. Yeah, and it's and it's quite a male thing that as well, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, it's the same thing that that's why it's it's men who tend to be obsessive about bands and about mm. things like that. It's it's it, it, it's a sort of vicarious ownership. Yes, the you, the gatekeeper in because I know this thing and you don't know that thing. Therefore, this is mine, and I I'm it's more mine than it is yours. Yes, there's a, a little bit sounds, of that. I think that sounds worse than what I mean. But like, you get that ownership without necessarily yeah. being sneering about everybody else, but also you've yeah. won. <laughs> you've won at being a Stoke fan. Um, yeah. who, who would you say is the second most famous Stoke fan? Well, I, I wouldn't claim that I am the, the most famous Stoke fan, but, oh, I mean, there's, there's, you know, there are, there are a number of you. I mean, Rob Bailey, the, the, the test umpire, is a massive Stoke fan. Mm. Um, um, and he, you know, I see him at games uh, sometimes. There, 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 are, there are, you know, there are a, a, any number. I mean, the, the, the whole concept of being a famous fan is a strange one anyway. Um, it's, it's only actually in recent years that, that people have, worn their fandom on their sleeve quite so much because it's become it's it's become a question that gets asked an awful lot more which is who do you support um i don't think that was that was the case years and years ago i mean no. one you generally supported your local team anyway because as you've said you didn't have access or generally supported your local team. You didn't have access to watching uh, other teams. You know, um, your chances of watching other teams were only when they came to, to, to your city. But then football also in the early 80s, and late 70s, early mid 80s, uh, was an incredibly uh, controversial sport because of violence, um, both uh, on the terraces, because of the state of the game, because of all those things. And, you know, it was, it was not a... Um, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a necessary thing to have a team. I mean, I did, mm. but I remember when, when uh, you know, I went away to college and things like that. You, 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 probably ten, twenty percent of people would actively be interested in football. It wasn't the, you know, the the essential uh, um, accessory that it seems to be now. Absolutely. I mean, cer certainly in, in the early and mid nineties, you you were very forthright in in being that person who did set, who did have a team publicly and that was like you say that was quite unusual but also in that time g going to games when i was young it was frightening it was it was genuinely a frightening experience like and i was going to these were uh voxel conference games because stevenage was the only round i could get to until i learned to drive and that was yeah. frightening even in that in that 
environment. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think, you know, it's a funny thing because I have this conversation with my son all the time. And I'm always saying, you know, oh, you know, you know, you should be able to feel what pubs feel right, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I don't, I just don't know what you're talking about. And I'll say, you know, when you go out, you know, watch yourself. And he'll go, it, it isn't like that anymore. It just isn't like that. Whereas, you know, my memory of, of going up, especially going to away games in my mid to late teens was that um, you became very sensitive to threat. Um, mm. I didn't. I didn't find it frightening. I mean, it was actually. It was. It was kind of exciting. But you really had to be on your toes. I mean, you went into a pub, and and you looked around, and you had a sense of whose pub it was, where the safe areas were, uh, where, where you had to keep your 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 voice down. All of those things, you know. And then that, that was a um, for, for want of a better word, that was an ex- existential thing. I mean, you know, you 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 had a chance of. Uh, if you were naive, you had a fairly high chance of getting yourself beaten up, mm. um, and that's difficult to explain to people now. Um, but it, but it, but it really was almost as much about that as about the game uh, at the time. Whether yeah. it be you were going to get involved in that, which wasn't me because I'm a coward, or whether <laughs> you wanted to go to the game and avoid that, it was certainly something you were aware of. Yeah, I, I remember I was 16 and two of us got chased by Birmingham fans outside St Andrews. And that was, it was certainly exciting, but I wouldn't choose to do it again. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I, I mean, I've, I've been, you know, I've been, I don't want to concentrate on this too much. I mean, I've been, you know, <laughs> I've been thumped at football matches a few times. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a, a I mean, a, a, not a desirable rite of passage, but it was a rite of passage. I think it is mm. difficult for people who didn't, who didn't, go in those times to know quite how near the surface that that violence was and quite how much part of watching the game was looking for pockets stoke fans in other parts of the ground you know, <laughs> you, know the, you know the old song you know stokey's here stokey's there stokey's every fucking where was mm-hmm. not about the numbers it was about um uh, yeah, that, that sort of spurious, we'll stand toe-to-toe with them on, in their manner type thing. Uh, but but let's not get too tied up in that because that, that was certainly wasn't no. wasn't all of it, but it was certainly part of it. No, absolutely. I, I didn't mean to digress quite so far in that direction, really. Is, is there any aspect of being a Stoke in the, say, 80s and 90s that you'd bring back? Well, yeah, there is in the sense that I mean, one of the thing, one of the things, one of my bugbears at the moment is is actually is is the concept that being a fan means that you have to care about more than the things that happen on the pitch. I, I find it, I find it wearisome mm. talking to fellow supporters about um, the financial structure of the club or. Uh, you know the, the the building of the the the, the, the training ground and things like mm. that. Not that they're not interesting, but they've almost become as important, you know, uh, as 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 what happens on the ground. I, I'm rather nostalgic for not really having to think about the game until the day of the game, and not really <laughs> have to think about who was going to be playing until the team sheet came out, and that sort of obsessive. A collection of things that surround the game, uh, I think, kind of take away from it a little bit. You know, that, that idea mm. that you already kind of know 
what's going to happen on Saturday because you get so much information. You know, you, you get to see so, mm. so many performances that, uh, that it's kind of predictable. Uh, whereas, you know, and pe- people, are, people are crying out for, you know, say Emery Tezgold and people like that to come into the team because they know about them. You know, the, 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 when players uh, reach uh, maturity and, and were brought into the first team, you had no real idea about them. And you had no idea if they were going to be any good or any, or bad. And 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 what used to happen was you would wait until the last couple of home games of the season, and then as a rite of passage, the manager, if he was safe, would chuck in a few of the youngsters, and you go, "Oh, that's interesting." And um, I think that's rather a shame. It's a, it's a little bit like. Um, it's a little bit like knowing where all your Christmas presents are hidden and feeling around <laughs> at them for the six weeks before Christmas. Oh. So come Christmas Day, there's no real sense of excitement and shock and surprise. Yeah, everything's getting slightly spoilered for you in, mm. in, in the modern parlance. It's like I, I still get excited about pre-season friendlies for that reason because there's still a chance that you might just see somebody who you didn't expect to see warming up or, or just yeah. turn off. Not so yeah, much I mean, now, I mean, uh, but yeah, actually, one of the diminishing pleasures of uh, pre-season friendlies is that is the idea that something had gone on in the six weeks between the end of the season <laughs> and the beginning of next season, whereby the same group of players essentially would suddenly have turned a corner miraculously <laughs> while running up and down the hills of Handchurch, and <laughs> and you would have a super team uh, arrive. You know, um, um, uh, I suppose that's uh, that's that's just the great the great op- optimism of the of the football of the football fan. Well, our, our our dear leader Tony Pulis was a big fan of running up the hills in in Austria. He which was. perhaps had that that step more of of achievement that might magic. But I mean, we were always pretty good then. To be fair, you climbed. Sorry, that sounded very accusatory. You climbed <laughs> Kilimanjaro with Tony Pulis. I um, did. I mean, you know, the, the word "climbed" I always think is, is 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 something of an exaggeration. It is very high and it's quite difficult. Uh, it's mostly walking. I've got to say, uh, but it, it was it was quite, it was an interesting thing because it was. Uh, t- t- uh, we did it for the Donna Louise. T- mm. Tony did it, and I did it. And A.D. Pennock, I don't know whether you remember him, but he was yes. one of uh, Tony's uh, lieutenants. And Martin mm. Spinks did it. And oh yes, very, yeah, various people. Uh, Doc Dent, who was the who was the club doctor at the time. Uh, yeah, and we did we did it for uh, we did it for um, for the Donna Louise, and uh, I, I got quite an insight into Tony. I've done a few of those things with him actually. Mm. I've done a the cycling challenge and a rowing challenge and things like that, and it did make me realise. Um, quite what a pain in the ass Tony must have been for the players, <laughs> uh, because he was forever doing things like—I mean, I love Tony, by the way—he's forever doing things like putting rocks in your backpack. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious for him. Quite wearing when you've just been walking up a mountain for six days. <laughs> um, uh, but but you know, great fun. And his uh, his level of motivation and enthusiasm was actually mm. quite uh was 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 quite interesting to see firsthand i i i can imagine well i can't imagine but i can kind of imagine i mean like i guess the obvious question is yeah who, who was who was most hewn from rock Tony Pulis or the massive mountain uh, <laughs> like just an, an an incredible man for stoke certainly and, and for charity as well which obviously you've been involved in loads as well but just brilliant work. I've got a question. Well, yeah, I mean, Tony, Sorry, I think the big thing about Tony is, is Tony has, uh, he expects a lot from people. 
but he also has an incredible enthusiasm, you know. I mean, he really, really does. And he's he's very, um, very personable, you know. I, I, and I, I obviously not a player with him, but but seeing him in that group situation when people are put under pressure and seeing the way that he he finds different ways to encourage different people i mean obviously it's different from the dressing but it's kind of similar because people are tired and people are under stress and people are out of their comfort zone and he's bopping around and he can't help himself finding ways to <laughs> chivy people along yeah. to encourage them sometimes to tell them to buck up their ideas and then i suppose in a tiny tiny way i got a bit of an insight into perhaps what it would be like um to play for him and the only difference being that i didn't get paid for doing any of these things <laughs> i had to put up with him and pay myself <laughs> still yeah, I mean, he, he certainly always came across that way. He always came off as, as very engaged, but also like just a really nice bloke. He came across that way. Like you, you, you would. He, he certainly wouldn't stop short of telling you if he needed to tell you something. But he always yeah. came across as like a nice uncle figure to me, anyway. Which well, yeah, and I think I think one of the the if we're talking about Tony, one of the really good things I think that Tony did was in his second spell, especially. Mm. Um, was that he created a relationship with the support in in which mm. part of his motivation was motivating the support and telling the support how important they were and telling the support that we needed that the, the, the club needed them and and that bond and all all of that stuff about being visible and 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 wearing his heart on his sleeve, you know, the thing over his mom and all mm. of those things. Um, I, I think it did create um, a, a bond between team and fans, which you feel should always be there, but isn't always there. And And you mustn't underestimate how much I think he worked at that. You know, I don't think it was just something that happened by accident. Mm. I think part of his plan and he was a meticulous planner was we're going to need everybody on board here you know and part of my job is ma not managing the fans but but having a relationship with the fans as much as it is having a relationship with play actually possibly more so uh you know um he was always fantastically um um encouraging of the support and uh, and of course i mean giving results is a good way to do that but i think he did it in other ways as well mm -hmm. and that first season up you could you could certainly say that, that made a, a a measurable difference in us staying up because the fans were such a part of that the the, the, the atmosphere in the crowd certainly the first season's first couple of seasons was made a a huge difference to the performances you, that that Makes sense. Well, I mean, I, the first, I mean, the first two years were uh, we stayed up purely out of will, mm. just mm. absolute defiance of the odds, you know. And then things changed, and mm. equally they changed when Mark Hughes came in, and there was some fantastic football played then as well. But I think without clearly without staying up those first two years with what was basically a pretty ordinary squad mm. uh, was in some ways one of the most remarkable parts about the whole thing. It, it felt magic, um, certainly. Uh, away from Stoke, 
I've got a question which is from Dave, really, because we, we were talking about this um, in the week because we were both very excited about it. Um, do you still keep in touch at all with the 1998 Iran World Cup team? <laughs> well, I would love to. Um, I've seen Ali Dai, who was the who was the uh, was it, well, he was mm. the world uh, record international scorer for many many mm. years. I mean, it does help if you play regularly against Guam, admittedly. <laughs> um, but but uh, I've seen him at Stoke. Actually, he's uh, he's a football agent. Yeah, I saw him at Stoke a couple wow. of times. No, I haven't kept in touch with him. I'd like to think. I mean, this is a documentary that I did with a, with a friend of mine where we we went to the nineteen ninety eight World up with the Iranian team and basically shadowed them and they had that great result against the US it was it was it was a really interesting thing to do um but you know I'd like to think that if I if I saw them uh you know the, uh, certainly the one or two that I got to know quite well uh, that 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 I would be able to p- pick up kind of where we left off but no it's not it's not always an easy thing to keep in touch um um, uh, um with with people in Iran and it's and it's and it's not always easy to find out where a lot of them went you don't you get a few but you don't get a lot of Iranian players playing uh, mm. in Europe uh, I, I know there are one or two and there have been one or two in the premiership uh, but it's not a big uh, diaspora so yeah, not not an easy thing to do I mean, I, I could talk about the the outsiders for an hour on its own because it's. I, I think it's a, a wonderful well, well, program. Well, if you do that, I can go and make my lunch. So that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, for people who, who don't know, it's called the Outsiders, and it's almost certainly available from reputable outlets on DVD at the moment. I think people should campaign for it to be on Netflix or something because it's just it's aged well, even considering it was in 1998, and that's very much the kind of subject matter that could have. It could not have aged well, but it has because of the way you treated it. It wasn't sneering or patronising or anything like that. It's, it's brilliant. But also, amongst all the the Michael Palin of it all, which is obviously great, there's a moment in that game against the USA, which without spoiling anything, and I don't, I don't know how it was edited together, obviously, but the Americans hit the inside of a post and then it sort of flies behind the Iran goalkeeper and goes out the other side. And, and yeah. the audio for that is you just hear you go, fuck it out! <laughs> and it just that completely yeah, I've always been an erudite bugger <laughs> <laughs> but that for me just completely encapsulates what it's like watching a football match and really living in the moment of that match you know what I mean it's just yeah it, it's it's the only time you know outside of probably England and Stoke I've ever felt really tied to a team uh, just to let people I mean what was interesting about it so Andy, who's the guy I did with, Andy Smart, who's a Farnborough Town fan, uh, um, and I decided we, we wanted, if we could, try and make a documentary about one of the smaller nations at the World Cup. We tried to, we tried to do it the, the World Cup before, which was in the US with Costa Rica, but, but it's, it's very difficult to, 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 to get an in. Uh, we then decided we'd quite like to do Iran. I was married to an Iranian uh, lady and, and and we chose Iran. And then we, we started doing some, you know, possible filming and we went to see the draw being made. And of course, they drew the USA, which was an absolute plum game because you know i mean then as now actually you know the two societies were um 
were, were so polarized 20 years after the Iran Contras and, and, and the hostages and all that for those who know anything about that. But the, I'll tell you a story which you may or may not know. So we, we finally got in touch with the Iranian FA and said, look, is there any chance we could do this? Hmm. You, you've got to try and imagine this the other way around. If two Iranian comics had tried to contact the FA <laughs> and said, you know, could we do a fly on the wall documentary about about England? So we eventually we went over to Tehran. And we went to see the head of the FA, who was the head of the of the of the oil ministry, as it happened. Uh, and we went to his office, and there was a lot of you know, you know, well, what 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 do you want to do? And we'd like to do this, we'd like to do that. And he's going, well, I'm not so sure. It's you know, well, do we want to do this? You know, I need a bit of energy. This is clearly, hmm. um, you know, it means can you put some money in my top drawer? sort of thing and then uh, I, I've told the story before I don't know whether you've heard it but and so we're sitting there in the in the uh, Iranian oil ministry and he's you know he's he's playing hard to get and we're there and he's got his two kids there um, I don't know why for some reason I think to say this is how we're going to shaft the you know the, 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 the westerners out of their money <laughs> and then suddenly he just sits up and he looks me straight in the eye and goes you were in Mr. Bean <laughs> So I said, well, yeah, I, I, yeah, I was in Mr. Bean. He says to his son, look, it's him from Mr. Bean. And they go, oh, yes. I mean, I was in a tiny scene in Mr. Bean, okay? So then he goes, well, you stole Mr. Bean's camera. And I said, well, yes, yes, I did steal Mr. Bean's camera. Yes. And he said, he said, Mr. Bean put a bin on your head and poked you with a pen. And I said, yes, <laughs> yes, indeed, Mr. Bean did put a bin on my head and poked me with a pen. And then he said, I will be Mr. Bean. And he gets the bin from the corner of his office and puts it on my head and starts poking me with a pen. He says, no, you, you, you make the noise like you made the noise for Mr. Bean. So he's poking with I'm in the office of the Iranian oil ministry with a bin on my head being poked in the arm by the Iranian oil minister and having to go, oh, 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 right? He is actually fucking delighted by this. He is so happy. And he takes the bin off my head and he puts it back in the corner of the office. He goes, yes, you can make the television program. <laughs> it was just the oh. most bizarre audition that ever happened in the world ever, ever, ever born on. So, yeah, bizarre. That is absolutely outstanding. Um, wow. Is, is there anything that you've done that hasn't made it that you really wish, like for stupid, horrible context, the best thing I've ever done in my 40 odd years on the planet is I recorded yeah. a Christmas song and I'm rarely proud of anything other than my son, uh, but it was genuinely good. And I recorded this Christmas song about Nathan Jones. Right. And then we sacked him at the start of November. Yeah. So is there anything you've done that never made it quite out into the world that you wish had done? Uh, I mean, if, if there's anything, and actually it is a football thing that, mm. that I did, I did something with my um, writing partner and, and dear and old friend, Chris England, who mm. I do our podcast with, The Femme Sloping Pitch. And we, we wrote, uh, no, not what didn't happen next, the, oh. uh, f the football book, of which I am quite proud. But uh, we wrote, we wrote a, uh, a, a football comedy drama called Bostock's Cup. Oh, um, yes. which was uh, had Tim Healy and Neil Pearson and Phil Middlemiss had a great cast. And it was basically a, uh, a, a, a mockumentary, they called it, a mm. fake documentary about a team 
winning the FA Cup in 1973. So basically, we we nick Sunderland's FA Cup win off them, and 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 the game and the, the cup is won by Bostock Stanley, a fictitious um, um, uh, football team that we made up. Bostock name comes from Bostock's coaches. Obviously, it's full of references to Stoke. If you ever get to see it. Uh, really proud of it. I think it was really funny because in those days uh, they had a thing, they had repeat fees. The ITV mm. only showed it once and they couldn't afford to show it again because they had so many um, famous people in it. And so it, it's, it's quite obscure, mm. but, um, but if I could, to be judged on anything, I'd rather be judged on that than anything else. It can, I'm sure you can find this on YouTube, and just you will pick up a lot of Stoke references in there, <laughs> an awful lot of Stoke references. Uh, but yeah, that that's that's both my proudest and most disappointing um, uh, thing that I've ever done, probably. I will add that to my list of things to email Netflix about to demand they buy. Um, yes. Well, how's that working for you, by the way? Because well, there's two things. Yeah, keep it brief. A brief pitch, like it won't distract them too much. Yeah. They might, yeah. they might pick one of them. It's worth a go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that having sent it might be the height of uh, your success. <laughs> we, shall getting it done. we shall see. We shall see. Is, is is there anything? Do you have any other business? Anything you'd like to discuss, or anything you'd like to say, or any favourite Stoke things you'd like to mention that need well, to be said? Not really a question at all, is it? To tell it no. the truth. Um, I mean, I can, you know, I can, I'm happy to talk about anything. I can talk about favourite players. I can talk about <clears throat> favourite games. I can talk about whatever you want. Um, I, 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 I last week uh, uh, decided to watch. England versus West Germany from 1975, just to see if Alan Hudson's debut was as good uh, as as I'd uh, I'd remembered. Um, uh, it was a full 90 minutes available on YouTube. I find this world staggering. This world where you can get all of this stuff that once upon a time in the days of VHSs, you know, I would take every tiny little goal and have them one after another terribly not edited at all you know just you know the end of one game and then a bit of stoke and then another game and and all that's all that sort of thing one of my favorite things about being um a stoke fan in that time in that in that 90s time in 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 the, the mark steen time that you're t- mm. talking about was that clearly someone at coronation street was a massive stoke fan are you aware of this yes i, I i've certainly yeah. read about it um yeah that mark steen's goal against manchester united was always shown on television if somebody was watching football. And it clearly somebody in the edit suite at uh, Granada thought, I'll tell you what we'll put on here. We'll put Mark Steen's goal against Manchester United. And it used to be, it used to be worth, I mean, I liked Coronation Street anyway, but it used to be worth watching just to get another glimpse of Mark Steen scoring against Manchester United in the background. I love little things like that. There was also um, a time when one of the main writers on, uh, Midsummer Murders was a Stoke fan, and you yes. got a, it was a clutch of characters <laughs> named the character Stoke name, Yes, yeah, and uh, they just yeah, little things like that. I love the little, uh, you mm. know, the little esoteric things that, uh, that, that 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 just cheer you up and 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 you, and make you feel not quite so alone. I mean, obviously you have all your mates, but the idea that these things creep in by stealth into yes. the common consciousness, you know, yes, and, and <laughs> like again, it's like you, you you spot it and you're like that's mine because I noticed it. Yes, and yeah, you yeah, get yeah. yeah. Would you say you have a favourite Stoke player? Is that is that too much pressure? Is that unfair? I think I mean you know I'm sixty years of age. Oof. There you go. That's something that you never met. 
It's 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 something you never imagine you're ever going to be able to say, but I am. I think for people of my generation, um, you know, Alan Hudson was uh, uh, was a revelation to us. We had a great side, you know, the Lee Cutwinny side, Banks Marsh, Pedrick Bernard Smith, Bloor, Conroy Green, Offred, Richie Dobing, Eastham, great side. We then brought in Jeff Hurst and Jimmy Robertson the next year, and the year after that, um, Alan Hudson came halfway through actually. Alan Hudson changed everything about the way we played. I mean, we had great players anyway. Alan Hudson, in my memory, and 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 when I look back at some of these games, it is true. Basically, everything went through him. He would pick the ball off off the keeper. He would tell people. Where, I mean, you know, this is this is not to be unfair. The players around him who were magnificent players, he had this incredible confidence in which he would. I mean, the phrase that they used to use was he would lend the ball to somebody for a little bit of time, and then he'd have it back. And it would everything would go through Alan Hudson. Um, for for younger uh, listeners, I mean, Tony Waddington, who was the manager at the time, did this fantastic thing. Um, apparently, at Hudson's, it may be an apocryphal story. Or who knows? But Hudson's first um, training session, uh, which I'm sure you're aware of, this story whereby he he had you know one side in bibs and one side without whatever, and he put Hudson in a different coloured shirt and he said, right, it's you v you, but every pass has to go through him. And Hudson <laughs> played for both teams, and 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 Waddington basically said, your job is to give him the ball. He will then tell. Not that he was telling everybody else what to do, and Hudson was, if nothing else, was a team player. But he had just this incredible um, presence, um, um, spatial awareness, passing range, chutzpah, confidence. <laughs> he just had everything about him. And when when he was on top of the game, he, he he was just the most influential player I've ever seen. And then he came back, of course, in 1983-84, when we looked like we were going to go down and we, we, we kind of swapped him for Mickey Thomas. He'd gone back to... Uh, Chelsea briefly. Hudson had, had had kind of retired at 28. He'd gone to the States at 28. He was incredibly oh, young. Yeah. He came back and he he turned that season on its head as well and was just much the same. Just, um, you know, people talk about majestic. People talk about pulling the strings. People talk about taking a game by the scruff of the neck. Uh, but he seemed to me to be that sort of player. So he was brilliant. But then equally in, you know, in short bursts, there are other players that, that have meant an awful lot to me. Jimmy Greenoff was a great hero to me. Uh, briefly, Garth Crooks was a great hero to me. Mark Chamberlain for, for a season and a half was, was a phenomenon. You know, he was incredible. Uh, but I also, I used to, lo I love, I love a tidy defensive Midfield player. I loved Steve Foley. I loved Ray mm. Wallace. I, I and I mm. absolutely adored Paul Bracewell. Uh, those players, you know, and, and Stephen and Zonzi, Glenn Whelan, oh. the players, the players that you know are knitting it all together, and and who are making sure that the players who may be more obviously talented have a, a different range of skills are allowed to demonstrate that. Nigel Gleghorn was a very good player for us. Without Ray Wallace and Steve Foley, Nigel Gleghorn would have been less 
effective uh, because mm. they did his running for him. Uh, again, I mean, there's so many. I've been over so long, but uh, I love Nigel Gleghorn. Nigel Gleghorn is one of those players. I've always had this thing about slow players and quick players. Nigel Gleghorn was always slow, which meant he played for far longer because he'd learnt to find time for himself right from the start mm. because he wasn't a quick player. Where sometimes you get quick players and when they lose their pace, they don't know how to play the game mm. because yes. they've been getting back or getting forward on the strength of their athleticism and not on the strength of their nows. It's not to say that one's better than the other, but it's it's different. And and I love I, I love that. I love te- I love the, the the different roles that people play, you know, the, 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 you know T- Tony Pulis, people talk about Tony Pulis being incredibly pragmatic. Tony Pulis found a place for Ricardo Fuller in his song. <laughs> you know, now Ricardo Fuller is the anti-Pulis in lots of ways. Although having said that, Ricardo Fuller did a lot more work than I think people give him credit for. Uh, yes, he was often coming back from an attack three attacks ago uh, <laughs> while the next or the third attack's going on. But equally, Without Ricardo running the line all the time, we didn't get the throw-ins. They mm-hmm. Ricardo always went wide. They knew if they banged it down the line, he had the touch to hold it up, and he would very happily allow the player to just nick it off him. There's your throw-in. There's that set piece. People thought he was mm-hmm. separate to that. He was central to that. He was yeah. the out ball. It without him, it was- we didn't get the throw-ins. You can't just bang it up and hope the defender will put it out. The defender needs a reason to put it out. And the reason they put it out was they were shit scared of Ricardo Fuller. <laughs> yeah. And rightly so, because Ricardo could, if they didn't get tight to him, as we know, wiggle along that byline. And actually, you know, he's putting it in from a ridiculous angle. Oh. So it, it, that, that sense of team is 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 vital. And there have been times when I've watched great groups of Stoke players who aren't a team. And I've watched great poor groups of Stoke players who are a team. And we know which one works better. And I know Mm. it's a hoary old cliche, but it's true. You need to have all of the talents. And some of those talents are... um, are not ball-playing talents, you know? I mean, I love Robert Huth. Robert Mm. Huth would put the ball out almost always because he knew that him and Ryan could defend set pieces. It's not a problem. I'll Mm. just whack it out. I'm not going to start pissing about with the ball. That's not what I do. I mean, he could play. Clearly, he could Mm. play. He's a professional footballer. Heaven knows. A wonderful footballer. But he knew my team will survive a corner a throw in, a blah, 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 because that's what we do. And so therefore, rather than getting caught in possession, thank you very much, I'll bang it up into row Z. We will get the ball back. All of these things that sometimes I've seen teams and I've I've not known that they know their strengths. Doesn't mean they don't. I'm saying that that's purely me as a supporter. Hmm. No, I know what you mean. I mean, there's, there's that hope. I mean, how many defensive midfielders have we signed, hopefully, in the last, I don't know, 15 years and thought, oh, yes, this is going to be one. But we, we've signed one just now in Ben Pearson, who who can say? But hopefully, maybe he he will be that, that trigger who can do that. Well, and, and we... Did we not say exactly the same about Ryan Woods? You know, and, yes. and we've, we've said it any number of times. I mean, the point was, I mean, Whelan was a signing kind of out of nowhere. We brought him from Sheffield Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think we played Sheffield Wednesday almost the game before we bought him. Mm. But, uh, you know, uh, what a player. Of course, the thing that we don't know, that we only hear bits about, is who these people are in the dressing room, you know, yeah. and, and the stories of, of, of Whelan and Walters in the dressing room. You know, quite apart from on the fit pitch, and you can see on the pitch, and that's why people love Johnny Walters. Johnny Walters was not a prolific scorer of goals, but yeah. Johnny Walters gave you everything you want. And then mm. you hear about how they are in the dressing room, and they won't let the other players not give everything that they can. And, and you know, little things, and again, this is an age thing. There are times... There are times when I remember, I remember years and years and years ago, these are names that will be, uh, you know, figures in history for many of your listeners. I remember uh, Dennis Smith virtually picking Adrian Heath up by the neck of his shirt during a game uh, to tell him that what he was doing wasn't enough. Adrian Heath was a fantastic footballer, incidentally. Mm. Um, I miss, I miss that sense that players won't let other players get away with things. I, 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 the times I go to games, not just now, there've been other patches when it's so quiet on the pitch and you think, no, nobody's, nobody's affecting the game outside of when they have the ball. And, and, and equally, I get, I get that, you know, and different managers have different approaches. I get the same thing. I, when I see a manager never say a word i i can only presume he's happy with what's going on it doesn't it isn't necessarily true mark hughes uh, a much quieter gentler man than tony pulis and and actually a very effective manager and, and you know what a side we had under him so it isn't always true but i think when things are going badly you do like to think that somebody looks like they care and i know yes. it's superficial but it does matter yeah, it doesn't, and it gets the crowd on side as well, like you were talking about with Tony. Oh, it's a silly thing to remember. I mean, one of the one of my favourite memories of of our time in the Premiership was when we played United in the League Cup, and there was that hailstorm, and the referee <laughs> just decided to take the players off, mm. and Walters made all the Stoke players stand out in the hail while the United <laughs> players cowered underneath the covering of the dugout. As it happened, we lost that game. In fact, to a late pool, to a late. Uh, Patrice ever a goal, I think it was, but but you could kind of see the United players thinking, who are these people that are just standing in the hail on a Wednesday night mm. in Stoke? And you thought, yeah, good for you. I love that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we, we, had, we had that with Arsenal throughout that time because as soon as that first game happened and they just clearly didn't like playing there, it, it, it was the same sort of thing, obviously, without, well, quite often with the weather. Well, I, I heard great a great story actually about Jens Lehmann going on a uh, a coaching course after he'd retired. Uh, that uh, I'm trying to remember who it was with. I think it might have been Tommy Sorensen. I don't remember. It was mm. one of one of the players from the, from the squad around that time. And you know, players don't necessarily mix. You know, unless they're in the same national teams. Mm. And and Lehmann had asked how much work Stoke did on their long throws. And whoever it was, I wish I could remember, but I'd rather I'd rather not guess and get it wrong. Whoever it was said, well, we didn't work on them at all. We didn't ever <laughs> practice them. What would be the point in practicing them? All you do is you have, you know, you crowd a certain area and you hope you get a touch of it. And Len was going, I, I can't believe that. He said, but, you know, in the week before Arsenal played Stoke, um, Wenger would spend four days 
defending <laughs> set pieces and throwings, and you just didn't bother at all. And you think, great, you that is getting under somebody's skin. Absolutely. And clearly, as you know, as anybody who went to any of those games, you know, we were very firmly under their skin. Oh, and, yeah. and there's a joy in that as well. Yeah, it was it was the big rivalry we had because certainly for for many years Port Vale were nowhere to be seen and still aren't, but on the way up now. And we we, we had a brief period where Crew was the rival just because we were occasionally playing with them and they were nearer. Um, and and then we went, once we got promoted, we 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 got Arsenal given to us almost by dint of them not liking us. Well, yes, uh, well, yeah, it's all down to the rugby team thing, isn't it? Mm. You know, and, uh, yes. I mean, I mean, for, for, for those. For, People of my age, I dislike dislike Arsenal because they broke my heart in you know, <laughs> uh, you know over four um, FA Cup semi-finals in seventy one and seventy two, uh, but that whole um, anti-football thing was just just incredibly naive um, of 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 Wenger, and of course you know which is a much different thing the the Shawcross Ramsey. Situation, which which I have my own take on. Um, if you remember, that was the day that Ryan had been picked for the England squad, uh, yeah, uh, by Capella, um, and and uh, yes, awful, awful for Ramsey. And I'm very much against. I was very much against the booing of Ramsey and all that stuff. Mm. That's up to individuals. Fine, I didn't mm. join in with it, but I've watched that incident many many times, and I and and I've even watched it with, and I don't have many friends who are Arsenal fans. Sometimes, unfortunately, when you work in a Ponzi industry like I do, you do meet wankers who support Arsenal. <laughs> and sometimes, even worse, you like them. No. Uh, but I I have actually sat down and tried to explain something about that because it still rankles uh, uh, massively with Arsenal fans. If you watch the incident, if Bentner doesn't pull Shawcross back, Shawcross gets the ball. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't make the singing about Ramsey all right. It doesn't mean that Ryan hasn't occasionally been guilty of being over enthusiastic mm-hmm. in the challenge. But what it does mean is that he has not gone in, which he never would, no. to hurt Ramsey. And that some of the blame, and there shouldn't be any blame, that if there's going to be blame, if it's a road accident, if it's a, you know, if it's a mm. road accident investigation, part of the reason is what Bentner does with Shawcross. Uh, it doesn't I mean, it yeah. mean it's any less tragic for Aaron Ramsey. It doesn't mean that the singing of the songs is any better. But what it does mean is that some of the story's been missed. Yeah, I mean, I, I I was there and I remember it, and it was just it was one of those things where everyone could see what had happened afterwards, and it was just silent around the ground. It was one of those where yeah, there was saying, no, oh, that's there was horrible. no joy. Ryan, no, Ryan not at all. Traipsed off, desperately upset yeah. for, for Aaron Ramsey. You know, all of that, all of that stuff, uh, 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 and you know, I, I I don't blame Arsenal for it, but I think in the fullness of time. You know, I don't think it should be what Ryan Shawcross is remembered for. No. Um, I, 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 at one stage, I thought Ryan Shawcross was going to be to have the most appearances ever for Stoke City and become the totemistic Stoke mm. player of all time. That that didn't work out for 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 a number of reasons, um, partly because of injury. Uh, uh, the England thing was awful. Who mm. brings on a centre back? with 20 minutes to go without warming him up, uh, especially a player like Ryan with his with his 
back mm. problems. You know, I've never heard Ryan say these things, uh, but, you know, ridiculous that I'm being protective of a man who's at least a foot taller than me. Um, <laughs> but but it upsets me because I know Ryan is, from what I can tell, a basically decent man, a fine footballer, a wonderful servant to our club. Mm. and And one of the surprising cogs in that promotion team. I mean, he scored at Cardiff in that first game. And I remember thinking, who? I, didn't, <laughs> I wasn't really aware of him at all. He was on loan at the time. Yeah. And and, and a good loan converted to a, a transfer, which was wonderful. But yeah, he just, he, he was Mr. Stoke City. But as I remember it, it was a clearance, not a tackle. When they were coming together for that ball, it was it was more of a clearance than a tackle, and it just the timing because he was slightly delayed. Not to dwell on it, but that's as I remember yeah. It anyway. Yeah, um, but I mean, you know, but football is is it's so often about that, especially in games between Arsenal and Stoke, and and in other circumstances, is about brooking no argument from the other team and mm. being totemistic of some sort of goody versus baddie yes, scenario, yeah. which I'm afraid as I get older, I'm slightly less into the goody versus baddie thing. <laughs> yeah, same. I mean, saying that, you just mentioned Cardiff, who are the team that I still haven't forgiven for taking um, Peter Thorne uh, in that, that whole season. But then we beat them in the playoffs and it was glorious. And Graham Kavanagh, who was my one of my favourites at the time. Um, and whose son, son scored on his debut, did he not, the other day for Newport, I think it was. Oh, I missed that. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. We, should, we, should, we should try and... We've gone down a dark alleyway again. This is entirely my fault. Apologies. But have you got... I, a, a, I live in dark alleyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, I live in Rotherham, so... Close uh, enough. Do you, do you have a, a, a most uplifting Stoke memory that you could finish on from a Stoke point of view? Or, or a happiest Stoke memory or anything like that? A happy thing about Stoke. Well, I mean, there's the obvious things. There's the 2011 semi-final. There's mm. um, uh, yeah, there's the, the last-minute goal against Villa. There's winning the League Cup. There's uh, there's any number of things. I think if I was to choose one thing, mm-hmm. which sounds a deaf thing, and it's a tiny thing, it was... Um, when we got relegated and and, and we beat Leeds six <laughs> two uh, at home and were absolutely brilliant and Mervyn Day was their goalkeeper and I remember mm. before the next game we played them in which was when we had a side that looked like they were going to be fantastic. So it was 86, 87, because it was the year Coventry Beaches in the Cup, and it was Nicky Morgan and Carl Saunders and Brian Talbot and Lee Dixon and Steve Bold and Mark mm. Chamberlain and Peter Fox, blah, blah, blah. And all I remember was I remember John Lukic saying, well, I don't know what the score is going to be, but I know I'm not going to let six in this time. <laughs> and we won 7-2. <laughs> and, it was, uh, and we were five up at half. Tony Kelly, of course, played there. Not, uh, not, not striker Tony Kelly, but midfielder Tony play- Kelly. Another, again, probably unknown to many. Uh, another wonderful player, um, slightly overweight. Um, uh, you know, had had. Uh, scuffed his way around at, at Wigan, who were by then only just been in the league and was just a brilliant footballer. Uh, that day was one of those days when you leave. There are, there are days when you leave the ground and you go, now I remember why I come. This is why I come. And sometimes those are after loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of turgid, awful, awful, <laughs> awful days. And suddenly... Everything goes right. And those are the days 
that make me hate the days when they go, we're 3-0 up, let's tidy it all up now and think about the next game. And I'm thinking, no, don't do that, because I love the games when actually we just canter on and something spectacular happens where you go, mm. suddenly they're just playing for the joy of it. <laughs> just playing for the joy and and it's working. <laughs> you know. And I think if I held anything up, I remember pointless games that we've won at a canter that I enjoy more than important games uh, that we've scraped through. I have also enjoyed important games we've scraped through, but <laughs> yeah. some of my favourites actually had nothing to do with anything else other than for 90 minutes, I was deliriously happy. My team looked like world beaters. I was with my mates and I went home and said, you know what? That's why I do it. That is absolutely perfect. I couldn't ask for a better way to finish that. Um, you're currently doing the famous Sloping Pitch podcast. Yeah. Um, would you like to tell the lovely listeners what that's about? Well, I, you know, I would love to tell people what the famous Sloping Pitch is about, but we don't know what the famous Sloping <laughs> Pitch is about. It's basically me and my mate, Chris, who's an Oldham fan, of course, has gone through, uh, you know, this, this incredible drop from being a Premier League club into being in the National League and, of, you know, were uh, in the late 90s, mm. uh, looking like, uh, sorry, in the who were in, in, in the early 90s and mid-90s, you know, looking like a team that, that were world beaters, but were a very, very, very effective uh, team. Got in to a, the original uh, Premier League, league lineup, weren't they? Yeah, well, then they got into a League Cup final and all sorts of things mm. and, 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 and a number of FA Cup finals, including drawing three all uh, with, with Manchester United in that, in that season when Ferguson was going to get relegated, relegated sacked uh, and United scored a last-minute equaliser. I mean, we're a good side. We're, let me put it that way. Yeah. We're a very, very good side. And then now in the National League. Uh, and so it's quite nice to have his, his perspective on things, which is a bitter one, but <laughs> a realistic one. And basically, we just talk about anything. We're just, you know, we are just two old blokes talking about football. We try and have a laugh. We try and talk about things that aren't just, you know, the Premier League, which I think I'm I'm guessing has enough publicity already. Uh, and, you know, Stoke get a load of mentions, Oldham get a load of mentions, but anybody can get a load of mentions. The difficulty about doing a, a podcast about football is we slag everybody off. And the moment <laughs> we slag a team off, that team supporters stop listening. So <laughs> I don't think any Arsenal fans listen to it. I very much doubt any Manchester United fans listen to it. I imagine Newcastle fans are there or thereabouts. Um, but we don't care, really, because there are all we're doing is speaking as people that love football. And uh, if people want to listen, I'd love it if they did. But, you know, I'm too long in the tooth and too old to go begging. <laughs> well, I think the Wizards of Drivel, we we certainly, we have in the past been unkind about Stoke City and quite a lot of Stoke fans still follow us. Um, so we're perhaps a good crossover market because we often don't talk about the game either. Um, but yeah, so fingers crossed, but not, not that we will make that much of a difference to your wonderful establishment. But thank you so much for being here. It's been for oh. me an absolute pleasure. Um, I, well, I always, I always love talking about Stoke, and and what you realise is, it, it's quite difficult to when you've been going for as long as I have. <laughs> 
it's quite difficult when you realise that you're suddenly talking about players that a lot of people won't know. <laughs> mm. uh, but that's fine. I, you know, I think people can only talk about what 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 they do know. And uh, you know, I, I I love Stoke on Trent. I love Stoke City. Uh, I love Stoke fans. I love going to Stoke. I've had my moments when I haven't loved it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think we're lucky. I think we've got a good ownership. I think we've got the potential still to go somewhere. Uh, and the great news is that I don't think at this moment in time, that potential is to go to the National League. And, you know, there's been a time when that wasn't the case. So thank God for that. Mm, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us and go on Stoke. Go on Stoke. <laughs>